I am going to uh, welcome you to our l- fourth Sunday of our Unseen Battle. As I'm welcoming you here, I'm also going to send our kids out as they're going to be talking today about the gospel of peace, the same thing that we're going to be talking about. And as I'm sending them out, I'm going to say the same thing that I said to you last week. We could use a few more helpers back there because you can see the amount of kids that are heading back that way. And you know, we had some people that did step up last week, and I want to say thank you to the volunteers that are already in place, as well as those who stepped up last week. But one of my main concerns for volunteers, always has been and always will be, is a thing we call burnout. Using people too much. And I don't want to use people to the place where they have church be a burden to have to come to. I want them to be excited to be able to come. I want them to be excited to be able to come and serve. But that means they also need a breather. And how you get a breather is you have more help to go around. So I would challenge you that if that is a place that you want to at least help out, maybe once a month, once every six weeks, I would love for you to talk to Helen Williams about that back there. And then uh, also, if you're like, well, I just can't do kids. Well, we have space in youth that you can help out in. We have space in cleaning. We have space in security. We have space in the worship team. Pretty much anywhere, even online. There's opportunity to serve online. So if there's an area that you would like to serve in, and we can get you plugged into that, please send me an email. Talk to me after the service, however it might look. We would love for you to uh, do that. And maybe it's uh, even an opportunity you can go to our leadership page on our website, and it'll tell you who's each leader of the areas that you can get involved in, and you can reach out to them. But with that, today we're going to be diving into Ephesians chapter 6 again. Today we're going to be focusing on one specific verse, and that one specific verse is verse 15. But for context, I'd like to read verses 10 through 18 of Ephesians chapter 6. And if you've been with us for the last three weeks or been online with us for the last three weeks, you know that we have read uh, A, first from the the, uh, Christian Standard Bible, which is the CSB. Uh, We also have read from the Message Commentary. And today I want to read from the English Standard Version, which is the ESV. So if you wouldn't mind, uh, read along with me and yours as I read it out loud. It says this starting in verse 10. Finally, Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith. With it you can extinguish all of the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance making supplication for all the saints. God, we are grateful for today and grateful for your word, and I pray you open our hearts and minds to what you'd have to say to us. I pray that we can understand how we're supposed to stand firm in this and the importance to be able to do it. I pray you open our hearts and minds. Pray in your name. Amen. Let's just take a quick review over our last three weeks. And in our last three weeks, our very first week, we were challenged in week one to see the unseen battle 
to see the unseen battles, to be aware of the spiritual warfare that rages around us. And in that process, we have to understand that it can't be fought in our own strength. Instead, it needs to be fought in the strength of the Lord. That's what verse 10 tells us. We have this clever, scheming adversary that we must have on our full armor to fight against. And that full armor isn't our full armor, it's the armor of God. And if we're supposed to stand against him and his strategies, this is how we're going to have to do it. We also have to remember the battle wasn't against humans. Regardless of how much grief they may cause us, no matter how much pain they may cause us, they are just pawns of the evil one. And the devil has a host of demons, and in this host of demons, we're fighting against them, and there's this great, uh, you know, whole authority figure, all the things that are there, they're very well organized, and we are supposed to stand and resist against them. The best piece of news I think we walked away with in week one was that we are not fighting for victory, we are fighting from the victory. And that greater is he that is in us than the one that is in the world. And we can hold on to that truth and we can fight with that truth and we can move and stand firm in that truth. Second week, we talked about our first piece of armor and that first piece of armor was our belt of truth. That belt of truth, we answered the question, what is truth? And not just what is truth, but what it isn't. And as we looked at what it isn't, it's an important distinction because the truth, like a belt that's referred to, holds everything else together. All the pieces of armor that we've looked at, all the pieces of armor that we will look at, are held together by the truth. And without the truth as our foundation, we're subject to lies, we're subject to schemes, we're subject to deceptions that the evil one's going to throw our way. So we have to have that belt of truth wrapped around us. As a matter of fact, Paul says, without it, we're going to be tossed to and fro by the winds of all different kinds of deceit and doctrine. So we have to have that truth wrapped around us. What is that truth? It's Christ Jesus and his word. He is the truth and we're supposed to gird ourselves up, hold it all together with the truth and the scriptures. Last week we looked at the second piece of armor. That second piece of armor was a breastplate of righteousness. And I got a little uh, bit more theological and, and deep with some of the words that we used last week than I normally do. But I will tell you again, those terms that we used, the first one was imputed righteousness. The, the righteousness that is given to us by Christ through his death and burial and resurrection on the cross. And because of that, we have the confidence to come before a holy and just God who is giving us his grace and giving us his mercy. One other thing that I think we can add to that that I didn't mention last week as I was even looking over it again this week is the fact that that imputed righteousness, that righteousness we have, gives us that truth to stand when we have a mishap, when we stumble and fall. We know that he is still good and that he is never changing and that he still loves us and we can hold on to that fact because I'll tell you what, the devil will use that and try and pull you away from God if we don't have that on. That imputed righteousness led to the imparted righteousness or the righteousness that is lived out in our lives. And that righteousness lived out in our lives is a practical thing that we do on a daily basis. It protects us from the daily temptations that we have, the daily things that we run into. See, basically that righteousness is saying our desire for holiness should be greater than our desire for anything else. 
Our desire and longing for a personal, intimate relationship with God should be bigger and stronger and more vast than any relationship we want to have with anybody else. This should be the result. And as we put on that righteousness, that righteousness will protect us. As we said last week, our, our, our whole innards, and those innards represent our mind and our will and really our emotions. So with all of that, we now can move to verse 15, our third piece of armor today. And as I read from the ESV today, it said these words, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. The Christian Standard Bible that I generally read from says this, and your feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. And I just like the way the King James said it, so I threw it in there too, and have your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Here, we're talking about shoes. Shoes. And as we talk about shoes, I'll tell you, I think we have a tendency to take shoes for granted. But you know, I have to say they're a pretty important part of your daily apparel, wouldn't you say? I mean, I have different shoes for all different sorts of activities. I have, I have shoes for work, I have shoes for casual, I have shoes for athletic, I have shoes for slip-on to go feed the dogs, I have shoes for, for all different things. And my guess is, even though I have a closet full of shoes, that many of you in here, uh, especially of the female gender, probably have much more shoes than I have. And the reason why is because they complete the outfit, right? We don't really think much about shoes until we don't have the right shoes to wear. And I began to think about uh, the shoes that I have and how grateful I am for them. I don't ever say that when I put them on, but can you imagine going around barefoot everywhere? See, some of you are okay with that. I grew up in Phoenix where the ground was like a thousand degrees all the time, so you didn't walk around barefoot. I didn't even like flip-flops because I didn't want the top of my feet to get sunburned. So I'm an all-shoes-all-the-time kind of guy. I, I wear socks if I don't have shoes on just for that, that reason. But can you imagine going around barefoot everywhere? One of the things I actually read this week when I was looking at the study about uh, Paul saying, put on these or have your feet sandaled with, shoes actually, even though we, you watch like a, a Christmas play or an Easter cantata and everybody has cool Roman sandals rocking, most people actually couldn't afford shoes. They actually went around barefoot most of the time. So that adds a whole new picture to you walking on the dirt roads and following behind animals and all of the things that that kind of adds to. So shoes here are a big piece of everything. And even in our day, shoes are a big piece. I mean, can you imagine being a construction worker and having to wear flip-flops? There's a pretty good chance you're going to lose a toe, okay? And can you imagine being an athlete and not having the proper shoes for whatever game that you're playing? I mean, yeah, exactly. Thanks, Will. Thanks for adding that O into it all. And that's exactly right. We have shoes for very specific purposes, and they help us in our daily lives. But none are more important than the shoes of the soldier that we're going to talk about today. And as we begin to look at this, see, a soldier's life literally could depend 
on, or on his shoes. It, it kind of all wraps around with his shoes. See, the soldier be required to march long distances, uh, to fight battles in all different types of conditions, in different environments. They might have to walk through the jungle. They might have to walk through burning hot sand. All these different things that we think about, their shoes are so important because they protected them from the elements that were out there. They protected them from jagged rocks. They protected them from all the different things. See, if a soldier's feet got hurt, if they got cut, if, if somehow they got blistered, even from just being the wrong type of shoes, I think a soldier would be a great disadvantage in the day of battle. I mean, think about when you get something wrong with your foot and you have something hurting on your foot. Does it slow you down just a little bit? It'd be a great disadvantage for fighting and marching and even, as we've talked about here, standing firm to hold your position. It would all be affected. See, the Roman soldier, the image that Paul is using to illustrate this whole armor of God, he wore these leather boots. And these leather boots, they protected his feet and his ankles. And, and these boots were called caliga. And they were a half boot that allowed the soldier to actually advance towards the enemy, undistracted by what he might be stepping in or stepping on. And so this was a big deal. And then one of the things, it, it, it was obviously a huge part of the preparation, and that word's used in, in our scriptures, the preparation for battle, the preparation for standing firm. You put the belt on, you get the breastplate on, but if you'd forgotten your shoes, you're going to be in trouble. And these shoes weren't just any ordinary shoes either. They were actually a thick leather sole that they drove nails or different types of uh, shards of metal and bone to give you grip, almost like our cleats today. As a matter of fact, the funny thing, as we look today, one of the things I, I don't remember a whole lot of messages from when I was a kid, but we had a guy that was our FCA director, which is Fellowship of Christian Athletes, and he actually bought a, brought a pair of cleats, and he put them up on the thing, and uh, not exact proper pronunciation, but the Holy Spirit is paracletes in the, uh, in the uh, either Hebrew or Greek, I can't remember which one it is, but he said the Holy Spirit is there to help keep you from slipping. That's one of the things that's always stuck in my mind ab about the cleats. But that was the purpose of these shoes as well. They had those to keep them from slipping. So as they're engaging the enemy, they didn't lose ground. They stood firm. So as Paul is telling us to stand firm, here's the connection. We are wearing the gospel of peace to help us stand firm against the schemes of the devil. The question is, is do you have on the proper spiritual footwear? Can we be wrapped in the truth? Can we wear the breastplate of righteousness, but yet slip and fall because we don't have our feet planted in the gospel of peace? To be ready for those attacks as they come. And the question that I think might be easy to answer for some, but others might have a question in, is what exactly is Paul trying to tell us here when he says, have your feet planted in the gospel of peace? See, I've heard and I've read lots of commentaries and different sermons over this over the time. And as a matter of fact, I've even given sermons about this, talking about how these feet and, and the sandals and the shoes are more of an offensive thing than they are a defensive thing. And I even said one time that if you have nails in the bottom of your shoes and somebody's coming to attack you and somehow you've fallen down, you can put that nail right into somebody's thigh. That's going to hurt a little bit. And, and so they could be an offensive thing. And I've heard people talk about that. And then 
in the process, I think people hear the word gospel here, the gospel of peace, and they talk about feet, that we jump back to the book of Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, verses 13 through 15. As a matter of fact, this was the verse I was going to have Russ read up front, just to say, this is a great verse, but it's not in the same context. But this is what it says. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one if they have not believed in? And how can they believe without hearing about him? And how can they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. And a lot of people take this passage and say, this is what Paul's talking about with the gospel of peace. Putting it on the feet. And then you take the word preparation in it all, and you take that preparation of the gospel of peace, and that means it's on the move, and we got to be taking it out and going. And let me just say this right now. For evangelism, I'm all for it. I'm all for taking the gospel out. If I wasn't, I'd probably be in the wrong profession. Okay, I'm all about taking the gospel of, of, of peace out. But the thing is, is this statement, if we try and make it fit into that, we're taking it out of context. Jerome, our, uh, our worship leader uh, back uh, now a year ago almost uh, since he, he uh, moved on, uh, actually sent me a picture last week and it had a mug and it said, I can do all things through a verse taking out of context. And, and that's exactly the truth of it. We can make a verse fit what we want, but if we look at it in the context, what is Paul talking about in Ephesians chapter 6? It's not evangelism. You know what it is? The unseen battle. The spiritual warfare. Three different times he said, stand firm. He says, stand firm in verse 11 when he says, stand firm against the schemes of the devil. He says, stand firm in verse 13, having done everything, stand firm. And then verse 14, stand firm, therefore. He's telling us to stand firm. And the armor that we have is also given to us, as it says in verse 13, that we may be able to resist or withstand in the evil day. The context here is one of being attacked, not being on the attack. The analogy of feet sandals is about us standing firm and resisting what the devil is bringing at us. We're to stand firm. We're to hold our position. We're not to, to run away. We're not to slip and fall. And in order to do that, we need feet that are both protected and equipped to stand firm. So Paul here isn't talking about evangelism. Once again, evangelism isn't a bad thing. But when we look at the passage, he's talking about something that's going to protect us in our spiritual fight. So we have our feet sandaled. But with what? The words are the preparation of the gospel of peace. The preparation of the gospel of peace. But what does that mean? What does the preparation? To be prepared, we have to stand firm in the gospel of peace. And in order to grasp that, I think we have to ask ourselves two questions. Just like with the belt of truth, we had to ask ourselves, what is truth? And the, the idea of the breastplate of righteousness, we had to say, what is righteousness? Well, today, I think we have to look at the, these two questions. Number one, what is the gospel? And number two, what is peace? Because just like truth and just like righteousness, the world has their own definition of those things, and they're not generally in line with what God has for a definition. So what is the gospel and what is peace? Let's first look at the first one. What is the gospel? Now, I'll be honest, this can be a sermon all by itself. 
Okay, you talk about evangelism, evangelistic preachers are going to get up and they're going to wave their Bibles around. They're going to give you the gospel and they're just going to they're just going to lay it out there. I'm going to keep it short and I'm going to keep it concise. If you have any questions about it, by all means, let's talk about it after the service. The word gospel means good news, which is the message of forgiveness through the atoning work of Jesus Christ. The fact that he lived, he died he was buried and he rose again for my sins. It is all about the rescue plan of redemption. And then we trust in his, that son. We trust in this. We put our faith in that to be reconciled to a just and holy God. That is the gospel. That is the good news. But to have good news, you also have to have bad news. You know what the bad news is? The bad news, the reason why the gospel had to be called the good news is because it addresses the most serious problem that you and I have as human beings. You know what that is? Is that God is holy and just, and we are not. That is the problem. At the end of my life, at the end of your life, we will stand before that holy and just God, and we will either say, it's about my righteousness that we talked about last week, which isn't good enough, which we talked about last week, or it's about the righteousness that has been imputed to us by Christ. That is how we will stand before God and will be judged on the basis of either our righteousness or Christ's righteousness. See, the good news of the gospel is that Jesus lived a perfect life of righteousness. And then that perfect obedience to God, not for his well-being, but he did it for you and he did it for me. And what I couldn't do on my own, he did for me. We talked about that last week as well. But not only did he live that perfect life of obedience, he offered himself up as the perfect sacrifice to die in my place. That, in a nutshell, is the gospel. Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 4. He keeps it very short. He keeps it very succinct, but at the same time, very important for us to hold on to. This is what it says. Now, I want to make clear for you, brothers and sisters, the gospel I preached to you, which you have received, on which you have what? Taken your stand. He just has this weird coincidence thing where he ties this stuff all together, by the way. And by which you are being saved, if you hold on to the message I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I passed on to you as most important what I also received, that Christ died for our sins. Bad news, we are sinners. We are sinners and we fall short of God's glory on our own. Talks about it in Romans chapter 3. There had to be a perfect sacrifice, which was Christ. So Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised again on the third day according to the scriptures. He defeated death for us. That is the good news. And then we can jump over Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. It gives us just a little bit more of what the gospel is. It says these words in verse 16. It says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. For in it is the righteousness of God. And it's revealed from faith to faith, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Here's the truth that we have to understand. I've already said it a handful of times, but our greatest need, man's greatest need, is salvation. We need to be reconciled to God because the bad news is we all fall short. We cannot, we cannot save ourselves. 
We are dead in our sins and we cannot undead ourselves. We cannot bring ourselves back to life. But the gospel, again, the good news, is the power of God for salvation. Again, nothing that we can do on our, ourselves it is the power of God. That gospel of righteousness that is being revealed is being imputed to the believer like we talked about last week. And by faith, we live out, we impart that righteousness by faith in our lives. That is the gospel. Now I tell you that because now we gotta tie it together with peace. What is peace? If I were to ask you what you think peace is, we probably get a varied bunch of definitions. If we went out to just anybody, anywhere out on the street and asked what is peace, we'd even get more varied, different definitions. As a matter of fact, here's some of the things that I found. It says this, peace is the absence of conflict. Peace is the time before wars, or a quote that I saw this week, that glorious moment in history when everyone stops to reload. That is peace. And as I saw that, that's the world's definition. But, but God's definition goes deeper. The definition the gospel gives goes deeper than that. The biblical definition of peace that we're talking about today is to be made complete or to be made whole or to be sound. See, we talk about this absence of conflict. It's not just an absence of conflict with people, but it's an absence of conflict with God. See, we, when we are born, are born into a conflict with God. As sinners, we are such. That's why we need Christ's righteousness. So when you put gospel, the good news of the gospel, together with that definition of peace, this is what we see. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. It says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith. And if you want to look at that word justified, I've heard it best defined as just if I have never sinned. We've been justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of the gospel, we have peace. And as we're looking at the book of Ephesians, look just a little bit uh, before we are in chapter 6. Go back to chapter 2, verses 14 through 18. Paul tells us about that peace. He says, For he is our peace, who made both groups one, and tore down the dividing wall of hostility in his flesh. He made of no effect the law consisting of commands and expressions and regulations so that he might create in himself one new man from the two resulting in peace. He did this so that he might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross by which he put the hostility. We didn't get along with God. So he took that hostility and put it to death. He came and he proclaimed the good news of peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Basically what it's saying is we have peace with God because of Jesus. Jesus is our peace. He is our wholeness. He has made us complete. And if you'd like to take a Jerry Maguire reference right here and say, you complete me. Jesus completes us. Jesus completes us. True peace only comes by being reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. That is where our peace comes from. We have salvation from sin and its consequences. And guess what? That is the good news 
of the gospel of peace. And we have peace that we can stand on because of that. Isn't, isn't that an awesome thing? We can stand firm in that gospel. And as Russ already read up front, Romans 8 says, it's not going to be taken from us. Nothing can separate us from that. How awesome is that, that we can stand firm in that truth? The truth of the gospel. The truth that holds it all together. When we do stand in that truth, we can remain calm. We can remain tranquil we can have that peace that um kind of peace that people are so desperate to try and create on their own we can have that because we know god and we have a relationship with him and in that it doesn't matter the circumstances where they have thwarted us it, it doesn't matter the temptation that we face it doesn't matter the lies that are thrown at us or even the idea of persecution that is being brought about and put down on us we are controlled by God's peace and not controlled by fear. Remember, that's the whole idea. We fight from victory, not for victory. So even when we stumble, even when we have a little slip up, we're okay because we're fighting from victory. We have the power of Christ in us. Greater is he that is in us than the one who is in the world. We continue to say that. We continue to believe that. And if we stand firm in that, we will not give in to what the devil is scheming against us nothing can separate us from the love of christ so with all that last question how does the peace that comes with god's protection that comes with the gospel of peace protect us from satan how does it help us stand firm and i've already said it but i believe the gospel of peace removes fear and fear is probably one of the strongest weapons that Satan will wield against us that will cause us to retreat. We see fear all around. As I looked at it, I started thinking about a story. And our connection group has been going through the book of Judges. And uh, it's a great series. You can look at it and find it on Right Now Media with uh, J.D. Greer. And uh, we haven't got to Gideon yet, but I think we're going to get to him this week. And in the story of Gideon, maybe you've heard this one before. Uh, if you have a favorite judge, I don't know if we have favorite judges or not or are allowed to, but I'd have to say that Gideon is probably one of the ones that I like the most. And, and the story of Gideon brings us to the point because I truly believe the greatest th threat that any army faces is not the other enemy. It's fear of what they think the other enemy can do or how the other enemy might react or act. I mean, how many countless battles have been lost in history or even more so have been won in history because, not because there was an inferior or a, a, a more superior army, but because fear crept in and they used that for their advantage. That, that whatever it is, how many times have we lost a battle in our own minds because we were afraid and we let fear dominate our thinking and our actions. That we forgot about the gospel of peace that we stand firm in. So if we go to Gideon, quick summary of it. It's found in Judges 6 and 7. If you'd like to read it, I would suggest you do it. it it's got way better stuff than I could summarize in it all. But basically, here's what it is. The Israelites, as you'll see throughout the book of Judges, had done evil in the sight of the Lord. And 
the Midianites had come and oppressed them for seven years. And in that time of oppression for seven years, they would come through every year and they would take all the grain and they'd wipe out the cattle and they'd do all these things. So basically trying to starve the Israelites to death. Finally, after seven years, and I don't know why it took seven years, and if you look in the book of Judges, you'll see that oftentimes it's 18 years, it's eight years. I don't know what took them so long, but they finally cry out to God. And God shows them mercy by going to a man named Gideon. Gideon, who is in hiding, and he is beating the wheat to try and, and do things, but he's doing it in hiding so the Midianites don't steal it. And he is there, and an angel of the Lord shows up to him and says these words in Judges 6.12. The Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. And in all humility, Gideon says, I am not a valiant warrior. First of all, I'm in hiding here, doing my thing. I don't want anything to do with it. And on top of that, I am the least of my family. My family is the least of my clan. So I am not a valiant warrior. But he says, hey, I've got something I'm going to do. And in all of this, God says, I know who you are. You may not be who you think you are right now, but I know who you're going to be. So this is the reason why the valiant warrior is there, and that's another message for another time. But the angel tells Gideon that God is going to deliver Israel from the Midianites through him. Gideon, still afraid, he wants a sign. So you know what he does? He puts his lunch up on a rock. The angel touches the lunch, burnt offering, just like that. Gideon's like, wow, that was, that was pretty cool. So he begins to, to start to go, you know what, I'm going to do something. The first thing that God says, I want you to destroy the idol that is in the middle of your town to the God of, either you can say Baal or Baal, whatever one you choose to say, either one is fine with me. But he does it that very night. The town people get mad, the whole thing goes on. Dad says, hey, Baal can defend himself. Like I said, read the story. It's really, really great. But what happens is, is the Midianites finally say, we're going to fight. And Gideon says, let's do it. But he's still just a little bit afraid. So in the process of being afraid, he says, God, I got two tests for you. I just need you to do two tests. We got this, this fleece. Okay, I'm going to put it out there on the ground, and overnight, I want to wake up in the morning, I want it to be wet, and all the ground around it to be dry. And then on the second night, it says, I'm going to put that thing out there, and I want it to be dry, but all the ground around it to be wet. God answers. So in the process of God answering, it's like, okay, we can move forward. We, we can do this. I, I trust God. I got 32,000 guys that I can work with. I got 32,000 guys that I can work with. I'm going up against these Midianites that are at least 135,000 strong. We're going to fight them. We should be able to do it. And God says, no, you think you're going to be able to do it. But we're going to do something different. We're going to eliminate some of these guys. So he has a series of tests. Once again, read it. It's a great story. Has a series of tests. And in those series of tests, limits it down to 300 men. And Gideon's going, 35. 2,000 against 135 was already kind of a, a bit of a fight, but now we got 300 against 135,000. How are we going to do this? And God says, trust me. If you're fighting with me, if you're standing firm in my truth, just trust me. So God gives Gideon the plan. He strengthens his faith. Gideon trusts in God and carries out the plan. Each of the 300 men has a trumpet and has a torch with a, a, a pot over the top of it. And basically what happens is that torch is covered and they have a sword in their belt, and the 300 men encircle the valley that the entire enemy is in. And each man is standing alone, and they have this social distancing thing well before social distancing was taking place. And they spread out all the way around, and he said, hey, on my cue, what I'm going to have you guys do is you're going to blow the ram's horn. You're going to break that pot, and the light's going to 
shine, and we're going to see God work. And as a matter of fact, you're going to say these words, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Judges 7, 22 records these words. When Gideon's men blew their 300 ram's horns, the Lord caused the men in the whole army to turn on each other with their swords, and the remaining ones fled. 120,000 men from the Midianite army killed themselves that night. In all the confusion and all the things that God had done, and 300 of Gideon's army then chased the remaining 15,000, and different things happened, but they took out everybody. And guess who got the glory for it? Because there was only 300. God did. And that was the purpose of it all. And God says, I am giving you the opportunity to glorify me. See, when we're on God's side, we have nothing to fear. When we fear, when we fear, we see crisis. But when we have faith, we have an opportunity. An opportunity to glorify God and say, look what God can do. All we have to do is stand firm in him and be faithful to him because even in the midst of battle, even in the midst of battle, the one that fights with us is greater than the one that we're fighting. He gets the glory. I mean, what chances did the Israelites have against 135,000 men by themselves? None. That's why they've been hiding for Seven years. But with God, everything changed. It's like in that passage that Russ read. Romans chapter 8, verse 31. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? We can stand on this truth. This is the preparation of the gospel of peace where we put our feet into the fact that if someone tries to come against us, they're not going to win. We have God. Satan's going to attack us. We know that. We've already determined that over the last couple of weeks. But as we begin to mature in Christ, it begins to change our thinking. Our minds are continually renewed, as it talks about in Romans chapter 12. And it's renewing us and the truth of the scripture that we find out that we can be content, that we can have that gospel of peace in our lives, no matter the circumstance. That's what Philippians chapter four, it's all about, as Paul writes it. You can flip over to, because I just want to show you how it just coincidentally ties back to Ephesians chapter six. Look what he says in verse one. So then, my dearly loved and longed for brothers and sisters, my joy and my crown, in this manner do what? Stand firm in the Lord. Push your feet into that gospel of peace, dear friends. Verse 6 and 7, if you skip down, says, Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving. By the way, that's verse 18 in Romans, or Ephesians chapter 6. By prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And guess what's going to happen? The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds. What's that breastplate of righteousness supposed to do again? Guard your heart and your mind, right? And your emotions, in Christ Jesus. Then jump down to verse 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any moral excellence and if there's anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. Do what you have learned and received and heard from me and seen in me. Basically, take the things that I've taught you and impart them. Put them into action. Impart that righteousness. And then guess what's going to happen? The God of peace will be with you. Skip down to verse 11. I don't say this out of need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. 
I know how to make do with little, and I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content to have peace, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. You want a verse that's often taken out of context? Verse 13, I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. The context of that verse says this, I am able to be content because the gospel of peace is something that I stand on. I'm able to be content. I stand on Jesus. I stand with Jesus. I stand with Jesus in me. And that belt of truth that I hold on to and the breastplate of righteousness that I put on will cause me to stand firm. But then I dig my feet into that truth and everything changes. So, closing question. Are your feet sandaled with the preparation of the gospel of peace? Are you ready for battle? Are you ready for Satan's attacks that will cause you to fear? Are you standing firm in the truth of the gospel? And that gospel is the good news that we have been saved by God, for God, for his glory, and that he's using us. Ladies and gentlemen, if I haven't said this enough, we live in a war zone. We live in a war zone. We have to make sure that our armor is on. Be wrapped in the truth have the breastplate of righteousness protecting our mind and our will and emotions and stand firm in the peace that God gives us. Let's pray together. Father, thanks again for who you are. And thanks for the way you continue to work in our lives and continue to shape us. And thank you for the way that your word is alive. Even as we read it, even as we, we go from letter to letter, from, from Ephesians to Philippians to Romans, and we bounce around to each one of those, even going back to the book of Judges, we see you in the midst of it all, and not just see you, but we see you working and tying everything together. That the peace of God comes from standing firm in the fact that you are with us. And we can stand firm in that truth. And as we do, it will protect our mind. It will protect our emotions. It will protect our will against the schemes of the devil. And as he's trying to cause us to fear, trying to cause us to retreat, we can dig in with our cleats so we don't slip, so we don't fall, so we can show the world who you are, not for our glory, but for yours. And God, we give you all the praise and the honor for today. We love you, God. And we're thankful for the way that you sent your son to die for us. If there's somebody in this room that does not understand the gospel and the good news and the bad news and the fact that we are sinners that were far from you, but you wanted to have a relationship with us, so you sent your son, God, may they learn today. May you work in their heart today and bring them closer to you. We pray it all in your name. Amen. Guys, I'm going to step right over here as we sing this last song. And if you want to hear about the gospel of peace, if you want to hear about the peace that God can give, I would love to talk to you about it. If you have an opportunity, even right now, to sit and talk to God on a one-on-one -on -one to say, God, I have been in fear of things that have happened over the last 10 months, things that have happened over the last 10 years, things that have happened, whatever it might be. God, I have been driven back. Help me to stand firm and know that because you are for us, the question is, who can be against us? Help me to hold on to that truth. That would be the time to do it. I'm going to step over here if you'd like to pray with me. Mike.